everybody, it's Nick here again for another, whatever these things are called, podcast or something like that. Uh, we're at NAB, we're here in the corner, uh, last day on NAB, a little quiet today, hopefully the noise is, is quieted down, but I have Mike the Monkey here, <laughs> making monkey noises. Yeah, here. Uh, we're doing our last day of presentations with uh, Maxon Cinema 40. Uh, Mike, if you don't know, um, was one of the, actually Mike and Tim, who maybe you've heard his uh, talk already, uh, those, basically these two guys have taught me everything I know about Cinema 4D, oh my God. so I'd like to thank you. <laughs> You're quite welcome. Good job, Mike. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, but I figure we'll just put these microphones on and start talking. Uh, I, again, I have no clue about what, but I, I guess yeah. one of the questions that is interesting a lot of people ask is how you um, fell into all this motion graphics stuff. Where, what was your background in? Yeah, uh, completely by accident. Uh, the motion graphics stuff started off in theater design. Uh, I talk a little bit about it in the presentation here at NAB. Uh, I think I wanted to go to school to be an architect, and then I uh, started, uh, I did a year or so of that, and then um, I looked to my left and right and hated everybody that I was working with in my classes. They were really square, and it wasn't working for me. So I thought, hey, uh, maybe I like that computer stuff. So I went into computer um, engineering or uh, computer science, and uh, promptly failed every single one of my classes, uh, the straight Fs, straight Fs in computer science, because I was always not in class. I was down in the labs, uh, just playing in the computer labs. And then, um, you know, uh, <laughs> took a little time off, realized school wasn't for me. Uh, went back to school for theater design, which is what I really uh, wanted to do. I kind of went back to the idea of architecture that we're going to um, create structure and form but in a more interesting way you know make castles or something like that and uh, that was it I went to New York after I got a BFA in theater design wanting to be a theater designer and um, didn't find the theater that I wanted to do but I loved New York and um, sort of um, oh well I guess that's how I found Cinema 4D was because I was using it to visualize sets in oh. uh, in for, and, and it's much easier to do lighting. I mean, you can make, I hate cutting foam board, so, uh, and I don't like razor blades all that much, so uh, I asked at the time, was it okay if I, um, I think they had one seat of Cinema 4D in the labs, nobody had used it, and I was like, well, if I teach myself this, what can I use it? And they're like, yeah, sure, go ahead. So when I got to New York, I already knew how to model in Cinema 4D, I just didn't know how to use cameras. And I really just had to teach myself how to use cameras, which is weird because I like my cameras more than the other stuff <laughs> that I do. Well, you, it seems like the um, the theater and building stuff and even the architecture background kind of comes in a lot into your work. Oh, absolutely. Um, the piece you demoing here is um, that dancing spot. Yeah. Uh, how do you how do you try to incorporate all that stuff in your in your three D work? Is it pretty conscious conscious like? Well, the hardest part is finding jobs that require it. Um, I mean, you can sort of push some things into certain jobs. Others you can't, and uh, it certainly helps to take take jobs that want that in the first place. Find people that are looking for uh, a more artistic solution as opposed to just, you know, there's a lot of people that want a lot of things done in 3D, and some of them just uh, want to make a buck and uh, sell the product and get out. Some people want some more artistic stuff, and uh, I think the best advice I can give is find those people that want that and don't give up on that because there are plenty of people out there that uh, want more artistic I don't know uses want of the more, program yeah well it seems like you've been you've 
put yourself in a situation where uh, you're doing really good client work and really good uh, kind of side work as well. You're doing a lot of personal projects, it seems. I, I guess what I'm getting at is you're, you're pretty successful uh, freelancer in one of the biggest, in the biggest market as far as motion graphics and especially 3D goes. How, how, do, you, how do you get yourself in that position? Yeah, you know, What's but, the process <laughs> of being awesome? By accident, <laughs> as any great thing happens, you know, you have to, um, you, have to you certainly have to be lucky. Uh, you certainly have to be your own worst critic. Uh, you have to be willing to criticize your work more than anybody else will. If, uh, if you do that first, that certainly helps. Um, you know, like I said, I didn't know that I was going to be an animator. Uh, the first studio that I met uh, was out in Brooklyn in Bushwick. I went to a suicide girls party and met some guy that was like, hey, do you animate? Yeah. And the studio that I work with today, you know, for seven years now, that's how we met. That's how we started. I had sent my reel out. I had. Uh, I had sent out resumes. I have never gotten a job once from sending out a resume, not once. And the sad fact is that um, there are so many people in New York and the market is so saturated that the first thing that's going to happen is people are going to ask, oh, do you know somebody, you know, X, Y, Z that can do something. And word of mouth is king. That's the number one thing. And then after that, uh, just don't screw up, you know, after you can get <laughs> recognized once. <laughs> If you don't screw up, things are good. But I'm constantly asked by other producers, they don't know who the hottest people in the market are. They ask me, you know, like, oh, do you have any friends who are great Cinema 4D artists? And then it just really comes around to availability and, you know, your usual rules, being a nice guy, being talented, those sorts yeah. of things. I don't know if there's really a formula, but... Um, it seems like there's both sides of the market. You know, there's, I always get questions uh, from, uh, clients asking for where do I find more more talented Cinema 4D artists, mm -hmm. and then I get all you know I get a lot of questions from kind of upcoming artists that say how do I get these jobs? Um, is there a disconnect there, or <clears throat> or is it just a matter of not finding the right people and them connecting, or do you think there's uh, maybe a, a talent situation like the, the 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 talent pool isn't isn't good enough? In other words, what do you mean the talent pool isn't good yeah, enough? Yeah, it seems like I know a lot of artists. Uh huh but I could only maybe recommend a few. Yeah, that is that is the case. I mean, I know a lot of talented artists, but uh, you know, on a job-by-job -job basis, and I'm only saying this having worked in the industry for you know seven-plus years as, as a freelancer and knowing how that business works, you know, every job is different, and there's people that I would know, but maybe they wouldn't be right for that job. And I always try to imagine, if I were the boss, who would I hire? You know, if I was spending my own money, who would I hire? And that's why word of mouth works, is because if your reputation is on the line, you're not going to give out somebody's name that can't make the grade. So, I mean, really, rule number one, being awesome, uh, you know, does help. Being very imaginative, being flexible, being fast. You know, there's yeah. with time, I've actually uh, slowed down. Like I may be more creative, but that has cost me something. Like I usually need more time than somebody else. And if somebody needs something really fast, I'll tell them right up front. You know, I'm not your guy. Like if you need a solution to something that's never happened before, I'd love to take a look at it. You know, but it, the, the, it's um, there's so many different roles. It's really hard to. Um, I think maybe that's where the disconnect comes in is to just trying to find the right piece to fit into the puzzle, you know, per mm -hmm. job. Uh, what What are your favorite types of uh, projects to work on? I know you mentioned some things about data. Yeah, I think you're oh, always talking yeah. about data. I like data. I like I like data visualization a lot because uh, right now it's it's still not sexy, you know, and there's so much of it. And I mean, if you look at the way things are going, uh, we are we have so much data we don't know how to use it. 
Uh, Google is, I did a couple of jobs with Google that I was really excited about because they're just loaded with data and it's all just, it's locked into comma separated value tables. There's just, and as soon as you see it, um, we did one that was just talking about numbers of hits and things like that and as soon as we moved it into uh, luminance values, you know, I, I one time thought, you know, we should actually be storing all of this data, not in tables, but in like 32-bit images, you know, so that we can extrapolate, you know, all of this. It's the same information, mm -hmm. but we don't read tables fast. We do read, um, we do read images fast because that's just the nature of uh, perception with, uh, you know, a human being. So I guess there's something about that. It seems like the next frontier. So I'm excited about it a little bit because I'm a nerd, but I'm also excited about it in a little bit because I know that that's where things are going. I, uh, the real-time stuff is interesting, but it still lacks some of the um, beauty that you can have happen with, um, you know... Uh, like a real 3D program? Yeah, well, real you 3D program. You mentioned you were playing with, uh, uh, was it Open Frameworks? No, I haven't actually worked <laughs> with Open Frameworks What yet. was the one you were playing with? The, um, uh, with the anti-aliasing issues? Oh, no, I was referring to that <coughs> thing that got posted about Tron. Uh, that they were, uh, there, there was a thread that was up on MoGraph, and uh, I can't remember the name of the guy that was doing it, but he was talking about some of the limitations that uh, oh, they'd okay. run into, and he uses open frameworks uh, and processing, and I had always felt like I had fallen, fallen behind because I didn't really like processing that much, uh, but then he was saying that they were really kind of running into limitations for feature film just because the resolutions are so high and things have to be so crisp that you just couldn't get it with uh, processing. I mean, you probably will someday, you know, when the hardware They'll gets fast They'll add the, uh, the slow render button. Yeah, I mean, you, yeah. Look, you look around this floor and there's just, there, this is practically a hardware show. It's all about how things are getting faster and more powerful. But in the meantime, what I think is really more interesting to me than the real-time part is, uh, you know, it's about bringing uh, graph, it's data visualization, graphic design, and uh, simplifying something that's incredibly complicated, and also getting a better idea of what's actually happening. I mean, have you ever looked at a piece of data visualization that, uh, that made you understand something so much better? I, I, there's been a couple of them out there where people just do pictures of like, how much trash we throw away or, you know. It's uh, just, yeah, I'm picturing more still stuff yeah, than animation right yeah, now. Yeah, right now, that is exactly what it is. Yeah. But you find yourself not really even knowing what a billion means. What's a trillion? You know, they're both big and they're both more than I make. And that's the only relevance that you have. Yeah. But as soon as you have a comparison chart uh, that has scale, it now starts to mean something to you. And if you want to make, uh, I mean, you can use it for political reasons to make change, but just even to understand something um, better I think that's how we're going to have to do it in the future. I think there was a like a radiation chart I saw recently. Oh yeah, that, that came from XKCD actually. Really? Yeah, the stick figure dude, the one that was about the mm -hmm. uh, how much radiation we get from the um, scanners at the airport. Yeah, yeah. well, I think it, it extrapolated all the way up through a bunch of different scales. Yeah, yeah. But that was to put everything in perspective, and um, like that's exactly what I'm talking about. And to add the ability, the ability to add um, you know motion as a dimension to that is going to be incredibly powerful because it's not. There's no amount. Of, there's no data that just exists in one slice of time. I mean, we live in a continuum, so things are constantly changing. Yeah, the idea with the Google data and that you can play that back over time and see things yeah. uh, go, at, especially in animation like that. Yeah. But getting it real time seems like an important part of the puzzle. It does with with, with data like that to, to be able to see it at certain parts. At least getting it faster. You know, uh, real time may not be super important right now. And uh, if it is real time, then maybe it doesn't have to look so good. If it's not real time, then it better look great. You know, sort of thing. 
but uh, it has been one of my the thing the directions I'd like to go, uh, just because, I mean, yeah, that and you know still music. I love music and the integration of uh, music with uh, animation. Yeah, now you quite you, a bit. You've always uh, had a good sense of music in your uh, in your pieces, and your presentation last year was all about how to use uh, sound and music and MoGraph to kind of time things up with uh, with MoGraph and, and notes. Um, and actually, your new reel mm -hmm. that came out, uh, we've actually we were talking about how the way that you put together your reel. Oh yeah. And uh, I thought it was interesting how uh, how you, how you did it. So I'll let you talk yeah, about well, it. Yeah, well, I always I cut music first. Like I, uh, I the way it happens is uh, I put my iPod on, I load it up with all my music, I walk around the streets of New York for weeks trying to find the thing that I really really like the thing that I can listen to a hundred times and not get sick of. And I'm also looking for things with a certain degree of impulse that tells a story in itself, has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And uh, as soon as that happens, I uh, recut it. In this case, uh, I'd used a Rat-a-Tat track, which I was, I was suspicious about because it's a really popular uh, band to use. But I'd even ask some friends, I was like, have you ever heard this particular track? And they're like, didn't even know, never listened <laughs> to that. It's like, good, that's fine. But then, I mean, even that track, uh, the very first thing you hear happens at the end of the song, and the end is actually at the beginning. I flip them all around, try to stick it into, um, I probably did maybe 10 uh, remixes in live of uh, displacing things to create the waveform that I wanted to. You always want to start off with something that's, I don't know, I don't start off with an opener, you know, somebody opens the show, get you a little bit more excited, get yourself to a climax, and then bring yourself on down. Once you've got that waveform that kind of peaks at a two-thirds point and comes down, then I start cutting video to it and, and the rest kind of the rest kind of has a place to go. In it's a way. so easy after yeah. that because you know you've already decided that. Uh, I mean, you've you've already you've got more than half of it actually at that point to because it's telling the story, and uh, it's it's sort of it's the timing of the ride. Timing is everything, you know. Yeah, I found that starting with the music is yeah. is key on that, and even cutting. Uh, I think that's something that a lot of. Uh, uh, Early artists with their with their demo reels, they'll just take the first 30 seconds of the track and not think about the story of it. Um, <clears throat> and I like the idea that you you cut together the track, you 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 slice the the chorus off, and, or you yeah. play the chorus twice and then play the ending, and yeah. and you get you you can actually edit the track yeah. and and do it. And another thing that you do that uh, I I really like in demo reels is you don't just play back your pieces, but you actually retime your pieces to the music as well. Yeah. Um, and that's important too. You know, you don't have to show the exact same render yeah. in your reel as it, as it was when it played. If you want to time it up to the to the music, you could do that as well. Well, it's, it's certainly a lot easier when you've done it in the first place. Like, I have all of those things that I did already hit music in the past. I already know what their BPMs are. I already know where they're, uh, and I did give a little bit of positive space, a little bit of negative space. So it's really easy to find the beats when you go back to edit it. It's actually pretty effortless. That's great. Uh, well, I know you have a presentation here in the next uh, few minutes. So Last one. I'll end with the uh, with the with the question I've been asking everybody else, which is, uh, you know, I get a lot of questions about how to how to get in and, and be a basically how to be a creative person and, and get a job doing this stuff and and uh, do all this do what you do. You know, if you had a piece of advice to give to somebody that's just starting off, that's just getting into all this stuff, uh, what do you think it would be? Uh, you know. I think everybody already knows the answers. They just don't like the answers. Uh, one of the answers is be patient. You know that is the answer that nobody likes. I remember when I was looking at awesome watercolorists, and they just uh, I'd ask them, "Hey, how did you get this good?" 
Like I've been doing it for 20 years and I hated that answer, uh, but it was the answer. I have been doing this now. I mean, I've been living in New York for 10 years and animating for a little bit over seven. And I mean, that's really about how I only met Maxon last year, you know? And uh, it certainly helps, like I said, to be your worst critic. It, it is essential to love what you're doing. Uh, don't get, fo 40, 40 Thieves came from the idea that you should steal from multiple dimensions. If you want to learn how to be a great animator, just don't look at other animation. Like steal from, like I just started knitting at the beginning of this year, you know? Like learn how to knit, like look at glasswork, you know? Like, look at sound, like find something from poetry, find something from architecture. And then once you have all of that, you'll just be loaded with ideas. Bring it all back into uh, whatever your animation program is of choice and just work it. Like you just, you know, uh, no, no points for the lazy. Like, nobody gets to the top in this industry by being lazy. It's a lot of work, you know, it's just, and a lot of practice. And I feel like once you do that, you know, the things about, like, getting clients or finding things, those, those things sort of show up later on. I never intended to find the studios that I've found along the way. They all sort of did so accidentally after I did the other work. So I guess that's, that's what I got. That's great. Thanks, uh, thanks for being here, plugging into mics. And yeah. <laughs> letting me uh, ask you silly questions, man. I appreciate it, Mike. Thanks sure. for coming out. You betcha.